We're turning to Mark's Gospel in chapter 5, which we read together this evening. Mark's Gospel and chapter 5. Our theme is Christian discipleship in Jesus at this communion time, the Lordship of Jesus in four areas. Four areas. Uh, This evening we want to learn uh, three principles uh, from this paragraph. Uh, We want to learn our Lord is to be trusted, and that is what we are to do. Uh, We are to trust in him, whether we are not yet a Christian or whether we are a Christian, we are to trust in him. Jairus uh, will do this in, in the paragraph that we're looking at. Our Lord is often taunted. He is derided by the crowd at Jairus' house, and we will see that as his followers, we also will be mocked, and then our Lord will be triumphant. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. He is triumphant in that house, and he will be triumphant in the end. For the the boys and girls, uh, perhaps, Uh, We see where Capernaum is, where this story is situated in the north uh, of the Lake of Galilee. This is the most likely place that that, uh, uh, Jesus is uh, in this story. And then we we see a a picture of the synagogue of uh, Capernaum, where Jairus was a a leader. Uh, Archaeologists have found this. And and you can imagine uh, this being in the town of Capernaum and Jairus being a ruler in that edifice. Jesus then, in the second of four areas, is the Lord over death. Analysts have been studying the reason why Vladimir Putin has invaded Ukraine. Why did Putin, who is in office, ruling over a large country, an older politician, bother with this invasion? And it is a good question, and many answers have been suggested for his actions. Some have provided some defense for what he's done by citing the support for Russian rule in that part of Ukraine. Others have dwelt on the rebellious elements in Ukraine, which seem to be posing a threat to Russia as being the catalyst for his invasion. But a main theory is that the invasion was connected to the general election due in 2024. The plan seems to have been that Ukraine would be conquered in 2022 and 23, then the election held in 24. Victorious Putin would be voted in. His triumph, his conquests, his victories would drive the nation behind him. And once again, he would be overwhelmingly voted into power. This one final big action of power and victory before the election would impress and convince his nation once again, some analysts think, lie behind that invasion. We're considering the final of the four of Jesus' miracles that Mark pulls together in chapter 5 and the end of chapter 4. The climactic miracle, we could argue, Jesus as Lord over death. In this communion time, we're, we're thinking of the Lordship of Jesus in these four distinct areas. 
We've thought of Jesus as being Lord over danger. It's not just that he's Lord over nature, but nature that is threatening the apostles and disciples and Jesus Christ. That They're on this journey to a new mission, Gentile territory on the eastern side of the Lake of Galilee. And Jesus is Lord over danger. We will think of other dimensions of his authority, his Lord over demons. We'll think of Jesus as Lord over disease. But here we're thinking of Lord, Jesus as Lord over death. Every area he is Lord. And as we come to communion, we're reminded of his greatness, his majesty, his power. This is our master, our saviour. Our Lord. We noted that before Mark comes to delineate the parts of discipleship that we've been studying in chapter 6, he sets before us the majesty of our Master, the Lord, in every area of life. And in this communion, what a wonderful thing it would be if we see again how wonderful our Savior is. How great he is, and yet that great one, so gracious, so tender, so personal. Every, most, I think every U.S. president, apart from one, has professed faith. But every man of power who was president was defective, flawed, weak. But here's our Lord our King, our Savior, perfect, glorious, majestic. And in this communion time, what what a fresh opportunity for us, guided by this collation of miracles in Mark, to rededicate ourselves as disciples of Jesus to our glorious Lord. So Mark here uses the technique mentioned, the sandwich technique of starting one story, putting in another and coming back. Not like our ramblings when we go off tangent and and, and, and ask the question, well, where was I? What was I saying? This is intentional. And these two stories are joined together by many elements. I'm sure you notice they're both about women. They're both healed by a touch. Jesus calls both of them daughter. The number 12 appears in both of these stories. In both instances, there is a a rebuke given to Jesus. Both of them are unclean. But the basic reason, the, the very surface reason why these stories are intertwined is because the second story, the middle story, it delays Jesus in getting to the 12-year-old girl who is unwell. He's on his way there. This woman who has suffered for 12 years comes in this faith that if she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, she will be healed. She touches him, she's healed, and Jesus stops and has this conversation with her. And this explains why the girl whom Jairus described was at the point of death, then dies. Jesus is delayed in his journey to the sickbed. And Mark's combination of the stories explains Jesus' journey. And sometimes he does delay 
Sometimes he does wait. Sometimes he doesn't act as quickly as Jairus and us would like him to do in intervening to our need and coming to our rescue. But as here we see, he always has a greater purpose, a greater reason, a bigger plan. Our first point, our first principle, our first take-home statement is our Lord is to be trusted. After getting expelled from the region of the Gadarenes that we'll see next Sabbath day, God willing, Jesus crosses back to the Jewish territory on the western shore of the Lake of Galilee. And he comes, as we've already indicated, to the town of Capernaum before he'll set off to Nazareth. And he's confronted by this well-known figure from the town of Capernaum, Jairus. Jairus comes and he says it, to Jesus in, in 5.23 uh, that his daughter is at the point of death. She's at death's door. She's sinking fast. But in coming to Jesus, he trusts in Jesus. And Jairus is an example to us that our Lord is to be trusted. What Jairus did We are to do. We are to trust our Lord. He was bankrupt. He was helpless. He could do nothing. And he trusts Jesus. And we are to trust him. For not yet a Christian, we are to trust him. Take our guilt, our sins, acknowledge the wrong of them, turn away from them and trust in Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. The ruler of the synagogue was the president or head of the local worshipping community. In a synagogue, the conducting of public worship, reading of the scriptures, preaching, public prayer were performed not by a professional class, but by lay synagogue members. And the leader, the ruler of whom Jairus was, was charged by the elders of the synagogue with the responsibility of overseeing the worship and the orthodoxy of the teaching. His roles were were wide, included building maintenance, security, procuring scrolls for scripture reading, arranging for Sabbath worship by designating scripture passages. The synagogue usually had one ruler, but perhaps the synagogue in Capernaum, which we saw a picture of, was large. And so in verse 22, we read that Jairus was one of the ruler's of the synagogue. Perhaps there was a class, a group, a plurality of rulers there. Being mentioned by name is something unusual in Mark's gospel, which indicates perhaps that Peter knew Jairus personally or that Jairus was a prominent individual in the city of Capernaum. But this man, powerful, influential, respected, looked up to, wealthy, is desperate. He falls down at the feet of Jesus. He loves his 12-year-old child as, as, as any one of us would do. He's heard of Jesus' miracles, this teacher with a reputation, and in his desperation, but also in his faith. He comes to Jesus and pleads with him to help him. 
our Lord is to be trusted. And what a cost this was for Jairus. This was a a, a social humbling for this man. He was looked up to. He was served. He was honored. He was respected. He was revered by his community and by the local synagogue. But here he is in the dust, in the streets of Capernaum, kneeling down, pleading with Jesus. But there was also perhaps a, a religious cost in him doing this. He's nailing his colors to the mast. He'd heard of Jesus, perhaps witnessed some of his miracles within this city. Others had derided Jesus. The Sanhedrin from Jerusalem had sent spies to quiz Jesus. But Jairus, in faith and in desperation, comes to Jesus. He trusts him. He believes him. Perhaps there were considerable, no doubt there were, considerable discussions in his home. Can you imagine this man sitting opposite his wife, each holding a hand of their sick girl? They'd been to the doctors. She'd taken the medication. But she was sinking fast. What will I do? What help can we get? Jesus has come from the other side of the lake. He's in our town now. And in this mix of of worry, concern, pride, humility, faith, he comes, kneels down, and asks Jesus to help him. There's a brilliant phrase in verse 24, isn't there? Right at the end there, before the new paragraph begins. And Jesus went with him. What a statement. Jesus knew the cost he was paying. The social cost of humbling himself before the crowd. The religious cost of the the Sanhedrin perhaps kicking him out of his job. And Jesus draws alongside of him to encourage him. He went with him. This is brilliant, we say. This is brilliant. This, this ruler of the synagogue, believing in Jesus, stepping out of the line of opposition, nailing his colors to the mast. This is brilliant. And what happens immediately is his faith in Jesus is tested. He's a new believer. And he's tested. Word comes from his house that his daughter has died. And there's there's just a a fantastic word used in in verse 36. It's a a rich word. It's a a variegated word. It's got a range of meaning. Overhearing in, in your Bible, there's a footnote because it's, it's hard to translate because it, ha- it contains a, a, a wide range of, of insight and, and, and translation. In and, 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 and one way, here's, here's Jesus. You see, he's, he's overhearing this message from the house. Your daughter's dead. Don't leave the master now. Don't trouble him anymore. You know, what can he do now? It's hopeless. 
And Jairus' faith is tested. He's come believing in Jesus, that Jesus can do something in a hopeless situation. His child is sick, and now the hopeless situation has, has just got even bigger. His child has died. Jesus overhears this, and again, in his pastoral care and love for this man, he enters into the, the brokenness, the weakness of him. He steps in. Overhearing it can mean that you hear something uh, that they shouldn't, it's not meant for you to hear. It's spoken to someone else. Uh, you overhear. You're not eavesdropping. You just overhear the conversation behind you on, on the bus or, or, or on the tram. You overhear it. Or it can mean that you pay no attention to it. You ignore it. You refuse to listen to it. You discount the truth that it contains. And, and there's perhaps a blend of, of meaning there in this instance. That Jesus, yes, he's heard what they've said from the house. They've heard this pull, this pressure to, to leave Jesus. He can't do anything now. And Jesus speaks directly to this man and he says to Jairus, Jairus, look, you came in faith to me, believing that I could help you. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep looking to me. Verse 36, do not fear, only believe. Jesus is to be trusted by us. Trusted by us for salvation. He will keep his word. He's not like Putin who has broke so many promises to his own nation and so many promises to other nations around, making agreements which he goes away and, and breaks within a, a few months. Jesus is to be trusted, depended on, relied on for our salvation as Jairus recognizes his love, his power, his compassion, his trustworthy character to help him in his desperate need. So you and I, with a sense of our guilt and an awareness of the final judgment, we come to Jesus and he can, should be trusted by us. Jairus offered Jesus nothing. He didn't offer financial reward. He didn't offer him a place in the synagogue. He comes in faith alone. And our faith will be tested. Perhaps you're young here and you've just become a Christian recently. And your faith is tested. People mock you and say, you, you go to church on a Sunday, you read your Bible, you believe Jesus is God. You live a life of moral purity. Jairus is a new believer, an infant Christian. His faith was tested. Our first principle, our first principle to, to carry home, our first principle to revolve in our minds and, and apply to our hearts and, and allow its light to shine on us and to answer this question. Am I trusting Jesus as Jairus did? Secondly, our Lord is often taunted 
In contrast to the faith of Jairus and Jesus in this story is, is the ridicule of the crowd, the people waiting at the house in Capernaum. And Jesus arrives there and he saw this group of hired mourners. This was a, a normal thing, an expected thing of people at that time. Rabbi Judah, a century later, wrote, even the poorest person in Israel should hire at least two flute players and one wailing woman. The poorest were expected to hire mourners. How much more an esteemed citizen of Capernaum like Jairus. The wailing consisted of choral or antiphonal song accompanied by hands clapping. The mourners usually women accompanied the coffin from the house to the grave, clapping their hands together, wailing, haunting laments. And the presence of these mourners indicated to Jesus, to Jairus, to the disciples, to everyone, that the child had died. Jesus said she was sleeping. It doesn't mean that she was in a coma, but that her death was temporary. Her death was not final at that moment, but momentary, momentary. Some Christians, some commentators claim that the girl was not dead because Jesus said she was sleeping. So that Jesus' work here is a resuscitation, not a resurrection. But surely the reference to sleeping here is to be taken figuratively. The presence of professional mourners were not in the habit of being deceived by patience. William Lane, I think, helpfully comments, Jesus' statement means that in spite of the girl's real death, she has not been delivered over to the realm of death with all its consequences. Jesus, our Lord, is often taunted. They laughed at his statement. They had no belief, no acknowledgement, no respect, no understanding that he is Lord over death. That Jesus could bring to life again this little child. In contrast to the faith of Jairus is the mockery, the scorn, the ridicule of the mourners at the house. The Bible asserts and recognizes that Jesus will be taunted and that we, his disciples, will experience that mockery and rejection. Jesus' parable of the wine, the, the vineyard owner and the servants that he appointed to look after it, prophets were sent uh, to those uh, vineyard workers and they reviled them and rejected them. Then, lastly, his son was sent. He too was mocked, despised, rejected and stoned. Jesus, our Lord, will be taunted. Glorious, amazing, wonderful, trusted by his people, but taunted, rejected by the world. One of the main areas that Jesus is taunted about is his teaching about the afterlife. Many reject 
the teaching of a bodily resurrection. How can someone who has decomposed in the ground, someone who has been cremated, someone who has been buried at sea be bodily resurrected? The bones may be respectively, respectfully looked after, but the body will never be resurrected, they claim. The idea of an intermediate state and of final resurrection is something which is laughable to many in our society. Jesus was taunted as he spoke about resurrection and the afterlife, and his followers will be taunted regarding this as well. Our belief in heaven, our belief in hell, is something which many mock. Our third principle is our Lord will be triumphant. The suspense is palpable. Here's here's the, the slender, weak, challenged faith of Jairus. Here's the crowd mocking, rejecting, fickle. One moment mourning the loss of this child, the next moment mocking the promise of Jesus. How will it end? What will the outcome be? Who will triumph? Jesus puts the crowd aside. Perhaps the room where the little girl was was small and he could only fit in the parents and the three disciples or perhaps what he was going to do was so sacred that unbelieving eyes had no place for that miracle. And he came to the little girl and he spoke in her own language to Lithai Kumai. Gentle, kind, loving terms. Talitha meaning lamb, youth. Kuma meaning arise. By his power, his authority, his grace, he showed that he is Lord over death. The little girl immediately responded, got up. She walked around, the text says, she was given food to eat to encourage and help her full restoration. Jesus commands that this miracle is not told to the mocking crowd. The parents could not hide the fact that the girl was resurrected, but they did not need to divulge the details of that miracle by Jesus. And by the time They knew the girl was resurrected. Jesus had moved on to Nazareth. Our Lord will be triumphant. President Zelensky in Ukraine, he's promising victory. If the West will supply all that they have promised, he asserts, Ukraine will be victorious. But there's uncertainty there, isn't there? Will the West supply all it's promised? Will will all that's promised, if it's given, will it be effective to secure victory? But here, there is no doubt. There is no uncertainty. Jesus is Lord over death. And he will be triumphant. Though the crowd may mock and reject and despise, 
He was triumphant in this house in Capernaum, and he will be triumphant in our world. He will come. He will resurrect the dead. He will take his people into heaven. The word arise used in verse number 42 is the common word used throughout the rest of the Old Testament for the resurrection of believers at the last day. Here we are given a case study of what Jesus will do on a global scale for all his people. He comes with gentleness. He comes with care. He comes with individual attention to this little girl. He speaks in the language that he under, she understands and with his power brings her to life again. And at the last day, he will come with gentleness and with grace and with care and with absolute power. And he will resurrect his people in glorious bodies. But why? Why do it? Could Jesus not have said to Jairus, now Jairus, look, your daughter is in heaven. And you really don't, don't want her back. She's spared all the sufferings and disappointments and trauma of this life. And in 30 years, Jairus, you who are believing in me will be reunited in glory with your daughter. But that's not what he does. He makes a point here that the resurrection of the body is important. This important is not only certain, it's important. It's important to us because this is who we are. We're not just spirits like the angels. We are spirit and body. We're not like a van, a a one vehicle thing. We're like an articulated lorry. We have the tractor bit at the front and the other bit behind us. There are two segments to it and to us. And so Jesus, valuing the creation that he has made, will combine our glorified spirit with our resurrected body at the last day because this is important to us. Have you been reading about the eels in the Severn River? Hundreds of thousands of them dying at this this barricade that they can't get up, they can't get across and and, and people are crowdfunding uh, to to facilitate the, the rescue of hundreds of thousands of eels and get them over this barricade. And all of us, we're, we're, we're going to this barricade of death. And we will die. But at the final day, Jesus will rescue us. He will raise us from the dead because this is important for who we are. We are body and soul made by God and he will restore in glorious fashion who we are. But while it's important for us, it's far more important for him. He will show That he is absolute Lord. All eternity would haunt him if he never raised us from the dead. Death would mock him. We have conquered part of your creation. 
Your redemption is defective. It's confined and constricted. And so Jesus will show that he is absolute Lord by not only glorifying our spirits, but by resurrecting our bodies from the grave. We have an expression in our house. Maybe you have it in yours, half job, Harry. You know, we start to paint a room and then I get fed up with this and, and uh, go on to do something else or start laying the laminate floor. Uh, that's probably beyond me right enough. Or starting doing a fence. Uh, and then, oh, you just, you just never finish the job. Half job, Harry, there's been out working again. And Jesus is not like that. Glorify our spirits and resurrect our bodies. And so from this paragraph, this, this wonderful miracle, we take away with us tonight these principles. Jesus, our Lord, is to be trusted. What Jairus did, you and I are to do. Perhaps for the first time, or perhaps for, for some difficulty in your family, in your life, we come in our weakness and need to Jesus. Lord, help me. Our second principle is that our Lord will be taunted. And our views on marriage and our views on gender and our views on humanity are being rejected. Views which Christ held appealing to Genesis 1 and 2. And as we follow him and as we hold to these views and as we defend them in our RE class and in our school canteen, we too will be taunted. Their Lord will be triumphant. Was it Lincoln that said, I meant to check this up. Was it Lincoln who said, there's nothing certain in this life but death and taxes? That's true. But it's not the whole truth. There's death. There's taxes. And there's the resurrection. Our Lord will be triumphant.